He didn't give his life so that you could destroy everything he held sacred. What do you mean? Xavier's dying. But I saw his televised message. That was Morph. Xavier only has hours left to live. Xavier... dying. Oh. What did you hit me with, Jeannie? I'm not sure. His magnetism intensified my psychic field. A sad ending to a great life. Out of respect for Charles Xavier, I will let all of you live. Now, go before I change my mind. Wait a minute. I just realized something. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to The Danger Room, the X-Men comic commentary podcast. My name's Adam. My name is Jeremy. And we're here to discuss X-Men number 65. Is this the penultimate issue? I'm sure. <laughs> is that is that a, a, another word for 65? That's another word that I don't know what it means. I it could I, I was thinking it's like the second to last, but I guess technically it's not that anyway. But whatever. Uh, February 1970. Talk about the cover, Jeremy. Oh, well, on the cover, you've got a giant alien guy who uh, the X-Men are fighting, which kind of looks like it's a very large either disco floor, because, you know, they're in the 70s, (laughs) (laughs) or it's a giant extended yellow brick road, or it's the side of a big glass building that's all lit up with yellow. I don't know what it is, Adam. Looks like they're under a bridge. You can see the earth in the background. Yes, you can see a bridge and a river and some buildings, and they're kind of like, I don't know, tilted, slanted at an angle, if you will. And this creature that they're fighting is, oh, I don't know, four times their size. Is this the first instance of a word balloon on the cover of an X-Men issue? I don't think so. I think that they're, hmm, I don't think so. I wasn't sure, and I didn't. I didn't look it up. But they're few and far between. I got to be honest. I am no fan of word balloons on covers. I'm not either. Unless it's like, unless they're like the first panel of the story. That's. I think that's a cool device. Oh, I've never actually seen that done, but that does seem like a good idea. It's like one more page of story. Exactly. I think uh, maybe some of you remember the old spectacular spider hams or. or Peter Porker, the spectacular Spider-Ham. Mm-hmm. I think some of those comics used to have like a, a funny word balloon on the front. So that's okay. But just when it's Angel saying, get him, Cyclops, it's up to you and Iceman now. <laughs> As he's getting swatted aside. <laughs> like, I, There's no reason for that word balloon to be there. Uh, so it says here that they came from space, cruel conquerors from another star. Could the extraordinary X-Men save all mankind from becoming slaves of the star spawn? Looks like Beast and Marvel Girl are out for the count. Angel's getting swatted aside, and it's only Cyclops and Iceman left. And you know Iceman's pretty much useless, so it's only Cyclops. (laughs) This is an all-Cyclops issue. So do you think this is the uh, birth of... um, This is... No, I was going to make a Spawn joke, and I'm not going to do it because I'm better than that, Adam. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, i will point out though that the big stupid alien has purple underwear on oh this is a cover by marie uh severinson what this isn't neil adams or don heck no it's not and i will there's a there's a story to go behind this too which i'll get into later oh i cannot wait marie severin 
Marie Severin. Well, let's open up this book. Um, first of all, oh, we have a we have a title here. Before I'd be slave. What a terrible title. Dot dot dot. This slave is all wrapped around in chains and such. Yeah. I don't. Before I'd be slave. That doesn't even make sense. Oh, note about this issue. The reason that Roy Thomas is not writing for it. Yeah. This is this is a uh, this issue is written by Denny O'Neill, arted by Neil Adams, aided by Tom Palmer, and lettered by Gene Izzo. Mm-hmm. But uh, apparently, the way that Tom or Roy rather Roy and Neil worked together is that they uh, they would like have lunch together or something like that, and this is before the days of email. Sure. And chat. Sure. So they would have actual lunches and they would discuss the plots. And Neil asked, uh, Neil came up with this idea all of his own. And he was like, I, I want to plot this one. And uh, Roy was like, yeah, sounds cool, which is the issue we have before us. And Roy's plan was that he would come in and just script it later. Okay. So he had nothing to do with this story, but the scripting. Then... Either he didn't feel like doing it because he had nothing to do with it, or it says in the letters page that he was on a two-week vacation. Oh. So one of those things happened. Okay. And uh, and and Denny O'Neill was a DC guy that mm-hmm. Roy had been trying to get to do some Marvel work. Okay. So did- and, he had, he, and he'd worked with Neil Adams before. But apparently Neil Adams was upset by the fact that he wasn't consulted about this because he was expecting Roy to do the script oh so did dennis or denny o'neill he just came in and scripted it he didn't actually write it he just yeah he just did the script okay God, I wonder... he, honestly you can tell because everybody's pretty hip in this issue <laughs> um yeah it's definitely got a different pacing to it um and i guess that would make sense because neil adams is basically plotting through his drawings and then Denny O'Neill comes in, who's a, you know obviously got completely different ideas about what people sound like, scripts it. But I got to imagine. I mean, it must have. I, obviously, it must have worked. Do you have? I'm, do you have any insight into how comics are written today over at Marvel? I mean, do they still use this Marvel method? I don't believe so. I know, like Brian Bendis writes out scripts because he's included his scripts in the back of omnibuses and collections and whatnot yeah um it just seems like such a such a um it seems like it would be really hard now i get it like in the early days when it's basically just stan and jack cranking out comic books it just mm-hmm. makes sense because i bet you they got onto a nice rhythm where they were like in sync with one another and they're just spitting these things out but when you start pairing up other artists and writers and then having guest shots guest artists guest writers you know, if somebody were to give you or me like some pictures and say, well, basically the plot is some aliens come down and the X-Men defeat them. Now put some words in there. <laughs> Be like, all right, well. <laughs> well, I'm sure the, there are more, the plots are more detailed than that. <laughs> well, I guess I'm sure. I mean, I, I doubt if, if, if that was all that Denny O'Neill could had, he would be like, uh, uh, what? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, all right. Anyways, so uh, we get into this issue. They have just gotten back from their adventure in the city with Sunfire. And they've also, uh, well, I guess the adventure with Magneto. And they are met out on the steps of the school by Havoc and Lorna Dane, dressed in their little costumes. 
Cyclops looks like a little old man on this cover. He's got a bent over neck. It kind of looks like his hand is resting on Jean's butt, which to me, so Denny O'Neill comes in and I put that word balloon there. I'm like, yeah, baby, you got it going on. And then her word balloon's like, stop it. (laughs) This is not the place or the time. Because it's just a back shot of all these people. So their expressions could be anything really. Which is why you don't write the X-Men in the (laughs) seventies. Oh, I think, I don't think they would have canceled it in two issues if I'd have been writing the issue. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, so, uh, the X-Men are a little perturbed that, uh, Havoc and Polaris are kind of demanding that they come into the mansion immediately and change into their fighting gear. This whole first scene, if you will, is kind of weird. Um, like you said, the the X-Men are arriving back from their Sunfire and Savage Land adventures, finally getting home to the mansion. And uh, Lorna Dane and Havoc are demanding that they come inside immediately and dress up in your costumes. It's super important, but we can't tell you why. There's no and time, then, but we're going to have this little debate about whether or not you should come in right now. Right. It's it's just kind of awful. And uh, so the X-Men are like, well, well, we we wanted to come in, but now we don't because you guys can't tell us what to do. And, and we're the old X-Men and, and you guys are new. Basically, I don't even know that they've been invited into full-fledged X-Men ranks at this point, have they? I, I don't think so. Like if there hasn't been like an official, you are now an X-Man. Although I guess... I mean, Lorna did say, my place is with the X-Men. But, I mean, that could have been kind of presumptuous of her because, like, you know, the five X-Men go in the danger room and they're like, well, what do you think? They're like, I don't know, man. She seems a little bit forward. Yeah. Did you see her hair? Bobby's all (laughs) like, stop it, guys. She's super cool. Well, anyways, uh, the X-Men are just not listening. So um, Lorna Dane uh, continues to uh, try to get uh, them to come inside by ripping out a light post from the front yard and magnetically pushing it against their backs to drive them towards the mansion's entrance. Which, if I'm Lorna Dane, you know, you could say this is extreme, but why aren't they coming in? What's their problem? I don't know. And then Beast is like, oh, I'll show you. You think you can move us in with a light post? I'm going to bend that light, light post. <laughs> so he bends it in half. Throws it on the he, ground. He's apparently offended about being prided like an animal. On such occasions, I become perturbed, extremely perturbed. Isn't that like a like a Clint Eastwood thing? I'm mad, really mad, or something like that. Exactly. So then we go I to we go to the third page, and we're still not going into the mansion. Um, Iceman he shoots some frost at 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 Havoc, basically. And Havoc fires back with his little plasma beams, and he's like, cut it out. You think we're just hassling you for kicks? Let's go. Come on. We got to go inside. Stop acting like kids. So a third of the, two-thirds of the way through the page, they finally agree to go inside and don don their costumes. So it took us get, two, get, uh, two uh, Five days. nice panels of everybody putting on their costumes. We get their thoughts. Lorna and Alex seem to mash that won't do Bobby's morale any good. Iceman's got it bad for her. Mm-hmm. So begins what will no doubt be a long plot against uh, Iceman and Lorna and Havoc and Lorna. Probably going well into the 80s. <laughs> yeah, sure. 
Do uh, I mean the decade or do I mean the issues? I don't know. We'll find out. Yeah, then they uh, yeah they continue talking. Uh, on the last panel, it looks like Iceman's fashioning himself an ice bow, but he's not. <laughs> I shouldn't be uptight about Lorna's ignoring me. I have no claim on her, so why sweat? So I love her is why. <laughs> so he is not going to let this go. I also like Cyclops. Apparently leadership runs in the Summers family. I wish I didn't resent Alex's obvious ability, but I do. But I do. So Neil Adams is uh, is working on some of the personalities here, um, keeping uh, Marvel Girl pretty flat and uh, expanding a little, you know, showing the jealousy of Cyclops and, well, I guess the jealousy of Iceman. Angel gets his own panel on the next page, doing the same thing as everyone else. That's a very lonely panel. He's looking at his old costume and wondering if he's one day going to be buried in it. But then in the next panel, he puts on his new costume. So he's like, not going to be buried in these. <laughs> not going no, to be buried in this horrible thing. <laughs> and he, he immediately burns it. So they're in like the X-Men war room, which Alex is leading a conversation on the talk of this alien that is on the screen. Snap it up, Worthington! He's like giving commands and stuff. He's <laughs> literally taking over the X-Men. Alex goes into this uh, long description about a race of aliens called the Xenox from the Andromeda Galaxy. And how they want to plunder and enslave and they have no emotions and they want to kill us. And he seems to know an awful lot about this alien race. It's like he's watched a documentary on their 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 life, life the life and times of the Xenox. Now, um, it's as I'm reading this, I'm like, how the hell does he know this? I'm like, hopefully somebody's going to address how the hell Alex knows all of this. Uh, and so I could accept that somebody wiser has briefed him already. But it's this uh, second to last panel where he says, about a millennium ago, Xenox scientists devised the ultimate weapon. How would we know? <laughs> How would anybody on Earth know that about a millennium ago, Xenox scientists developed some powerful weapon? I, I, just, I don't know. Wouldn't it just suffice to say, like, recently we've discovered that they developed a powerful weapon? Yeah. Or recently we discovered that they're aiming a very cylindrical, deadly looking <laughs> weapon towards us. We, Many boffins died to get us this information. We we can't be sure if it's the peace cannon or if it's a death ray, but we're not going to take any chances. <laughs> Suit up, everybody. Uh, anyways, Iceman comments on this saying, are you trying to scare us with this hokey sci-fi? You're not making it. He's seen scarier stories on Star Trek. And he continues. He keeps going on and on about... Is Star Trek canceled by the 70s? I meant to look that up. I think, wasn't it like 68 to 71? Yeah, maybe it was still going. Maybe it was in its third and final season. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, he keeps going on. He talks about a cobalt bomb looking like a cap pistol, whatever a cobalt bomb is. Yeah, basically, he's trying to explain that if, if Iceman hadn't slept through high school science classes... He would know that when two planets get close together, the the gravity balance is upset and tidal waves happen and earthquakes and, and it's awful. But I never learned about that in high school. 
I don't. I want to know who constructed this movie because on the screen behind Abok, <laughs> there's a planet that's literally destroying a city as it kind of uh, 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 interferes with our gravitational force here. It's uh, it's either provided in the documentary that has been stolen from the Xenox. Oh. Or he had a film crew put this together. Sort of like an Argo situation. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So most of this is just uh, stop animation, right? Yeah. <laughs> okay. So this is a simulation of what's going to happen. Everyone's like, what? Oh, uh, there's something about the South magnetic pole. Uh, some, some homing beacon, which is, isn't that just where they came from? A Xenox craft arrived its mission to serve as a homing beacon for the mother planet because they're not just sending a weapon. They're sending out their entire planet. Yeah. They can fly it. Apparently there's a steering wheel for it. Yeah. Heck yeah. And uh, Alex is all like, you think I'm making this up? Polaris is, or I'm Lorna Dane is like, Scott, he's not making it up. (laughs) She's got to ask. I hope you're telling the truth, brother. Because if you're not, (laughs) I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm I'm just, I'm going to cry. <laughs> Marvel Girl does start crying because she understands now and she can stop pretending these past months have been so hard. This wasn't Alex's plan at all. This, this, is, this is information passed on to Alex that he was meant to relate to the X-Men so that at a critical juncture... Meaning right now, the actual master plan uh, master could reveal himself as the one and the only. The only man that could possibly do it, of course, would be it's such a it's such a cliffhanger. Maybe we should just end the episode now. (laughs) Do we continue next week? (laughs) We'll come back next week and tell you who it is. No, his name is Charles Xavier. And in case you didn't realize who that was, that's Professor X. Whoa. He thinks to the X-Men as he comes out of his closet that he was hiding in or whatever. Greetings, X-Men. I'm delighted to be with you again. And apparently he hasn't been communicating telepathically in months because he blows uh, Iceman's mental eardrums. Yes. Well, but I mean, Marvel Girl's been speaking to everybody telepathically, so this doesn't quite make sense. But everybody, just take a moment to revel in this Professor Xavier didn't die back in issue number 42. And apparently Marvel Girl knew all along. What? That bitch. (laughs) What I would like to do at the end of this issue is talk about why this is important and, and why it had to happen this way. Well, we'll get into that. I mean, there must be some super important reason why Professor X did what he had to do. He basically faked his own death. But but why? What's the reason? Let's turn the page and find out. Yeah, well, according to the professor, he ordered Gene to be silent this whole time because he had to do a task. One which he could not be interrupted during. Okay, okay, so... All right, so this better be a pretty convincing task that he's he's got going on. So he secluded himself in the sub-basement of the mansion. Well, there must be a basement pretty low then, because Juggernaut, I thought, was in the sub-basement, but mm-hmm. maybe he was just in the basement. 
the professor heard Juggernaut running around upstairs and he was like, should I do something? Mm, eh, nah. We'll just go back in an hour. X-Men can handle this one. I set the timer so that he'll go back to the crimson dimension in an hour. Yeah, he's only got, he's only got 60 minutes. <laughs> Angel's kind of perturbed that, what, right under our noses? Beast is all like, we saw you committed to the grave. But the first question I would ask is, what did you do with all your urine and feces, Professor? <laughs> <laughs> I imagine that there are just jars upon jars of Professor urine in the basement and garbage bags uh, just filled with feces. Gross. <laughs> yes. Well, you know, come on. Like, don't you think they would have heard a toilet flush in the middle of the night and been like, what the hell? <laughs> Who is that? What's going on down there? Has this man not taken a shower in like three three years or however long he's been in the sub-basement? Well, the, the Axemen have been out of the mansion a lot, so presumably he's been having whole run of the mansion. <laughs> so, he just holds it until the X-Men leave. So he's kind of like a mouse. He like scurries upstairs. He's like, oh, they're gone. He like runs around in his underwear, watches TV, eats sugar smacks or something. How did he mask his presence from Cerebro? That's a good question. I bet you it's going to be answered. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyways, uh, so apparently... He was engaged in telepathic star scanning. You know, as you do. As you do, if you're the professor. And this is at a, he's at a giant machine, so he needs the aid of a giant machine to telepathically star scan or something. Yeah, star scanning, it's no easy task. Oh, no. It's at this point that he accidentally learned of the Xenox invasion, to which I said, How? Did the Xenox speak English? <laughs> he discovered the documentary. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this movie looks interesting. Oh, my God. No one must know. I must fake my death. So it's at this point, uh, while he's stargazing, I guess it's just in a happy coincidence, that a man called the Changeling is able to sneak into the mansion and into the sub-basement to surprise the professor and say, hey, I need a favor. Wait, I remember a guy named the Changeling from issue 38. Is this the same Changeling? Unless there's two. He doesn't look like the Changeling from issue 38, but he's not wearing a costume either. Hmm. I imagine so. And, you know, I don't think it was ever, I mean, given his name, Changeling, we can ob obviously assume that he's like a shapeshifter. But I don't think they actually ever really fully established that in those issues that he was in did they no there was there was uh and in issue 38 he did change into the professor there was that whole i'm the professor no he's the professor yeah okay but i, I guess it, it was out of character for the x-men comic books because nobody said like i knew it this whole time your name your power it all makes sense you can take the form of other people like that <laughs> sounds like roy thomas dialogue to be like Oh, by the way, this is his power. But they never really, like, spoon-fed it to us. You know what I mean? Yeah. Okay. So, apparently, the changeling's got cancer or something. Oh, man. And he's got about six months to live. And he would like to atone for the, the sins, that his sins, I guess. And by doing, the, well, and the professor's like, well, it just so happens that I have a task that needs somebody to replace my identity. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like okay. you, I want you to become me. Wow, this is convenient. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Right? So the so he's like, "Yeah, I'm the changeling, I can do that, but uh let's explain another thing. I don't have your telepathic powers." Well, that's easily explained. <laughs> Just in the same way that I shared my telepathic powers with Jean 
Well, I also divided some of those up and gave them to the changeling. What? <laughs> what is what? I can just scoop into my head and pull some power out and give it to uh, another person? Like, here you go. Want to take a little Heck yeah, man. So, okay. Look, if the professor can pull some of his power out and divide it between a couple of people, why doesn't he just give all of the X-Men telepathy? <laughs> I don't Here, everybody... Everybody gets a little telepathy. You get some telepathy, and you get some telepathy. That, and I, uh, I don't anything like I would have even bought like. Well, we did some further research on him and discovered a latent telepathic power in him, which was very convenient. I could buy that over. I just divided some of my power. <laughs> no big whoop. Yeah, it's pretty sad. So anyways, but I think the idea is at this point in the the, the mythology of the X-Men, the, the professor can do that. That's stupid. It's totally stupid. <laughs> okay. So, um, so he needed the changeling to be him so that the professor would have uninterrupted time to study the Xenox, um, Invasion. And meanwhile, he was killed by Grotesque, which apparently fell right into his plan or something. He was killed a few weeks later by Grotesque, even though he had six months to live and he was killed a few weeks later. That sucks. <laughs> I know, man, right? Poor Changeling. So... It's like, why did I ever do this? I could have I done so much more important stuff with my, the last six months of my time instead of helping these stupid kids. So I guess uh, we're ready, though. Now uh, he has had time to prepare for his um, his uh, his counterattack. Oh, and by the way, he also has the ability to mentally erase fatigue because, as we know, the X-Men have been very tired because they've been fighting ever since they left Sentinel Mountain. But the professor's like, eh, don't worry about it. Let me just mentally erase that real quick. Right. For the next few hours, you shall train as you have never trained before, at which point I will mentally erase your mental fatigue again. <laughs> Just keep doing it. You'll never need to sleep. Uh, but <laughs> but we do get a really cool montage here, all one panel of just the X-Men doing things. Very specific things, too. Things that I would assume, based on these uh, this panels, would come into, like, is part of the professor's plan. Like, yep. for, uh, he has Iceman... Uh, creating absolute cold, not just projecting ice. Mm -hmm. So he's, he's training Iceman to do a, a different, you know, uh, you have a different use of his powers. Mm -hmm. I can dig the difference, man. Let's see if I can make it, says Iceman. Uh, he has Beast fight some androids, which whoop-de-doo. Overconfidence can be suicidal, Beast. Let's talk. More work. I wish Beast would take that advice. Mm -hmm. And then he has... Cyclops narrowing his beam to into a spot no more than a micrometer wide. So he's he's probably going to have to have Cyclops do some sort of sharpshooting at some point. Precision pinpoint shooting. But we've already established that he can do this way back in X-Men 7 or 8 when they fought the Lucifer guy. Remember there was a bomb... And you had yeah. to shoot a razor-thin beam down there to disengage the bomb? I do remember that, but without the professor's constant harping, Cyclops has apparently lost that ability because oh. this beam is not narrow enough. Good point, good point. And then the, he, Cyclops, or, uh, the professor looks like 
a gargoyle in this shot. <laughs> he does. Where he's holding the little piece of paper. Now, Cyclops. Please touch my paper, Cyclops, with your with your mighty beam power. <laughs> That's exactly what he would sound like. And he's trying to turn Marvel Girl into a mental funnel, a transmitter, transmitter if you will. I'm so trying. all this is going to come back later. Oh, yeah. Is it? Because I think I tune a lot of this out after. <laughs> I mean, I read the whole thing. But Angel oh. doesn't need any training. Hell, He's good to go. Hell no, he just flies around. Havoc, he doesn't need any training. He's good to go. Marvel Girl, or I mean, uh, Lorna Dane? Nah. She's staying behind. <laughs> That's right. She, somebody's got to cook dinner for the boys. <laughs> so uh, we turn the page and it turns out that S.H.I.E.L.D. is also involved, and they've got Wow, their, this is our first S.H.I.E.L.D. appearance in the X-Men. they got their helicarrier floating around over by the South Magnetic Pole. I think, uh, Colonel, yes, Colonel Fury is on the bridge leading the attack or something like that. And, uh, I don't know, Xenox fires back or something. They blow up all of their warplanes. Who was on those warplanes? It wasn't Dum Dum Dugan, was it? No, he lives. Oh, okay, good. It must have been a bunch of shield drones. Just random guys in blue uniforms that are shield people. It's uh, on a the bunch la- of LMDs. There you go. Uh, on the last panel here, you get a sense of how big the professor's eyebrows really are. <laughs> <laughs> they are huge. Oh, and yeah, he's co- he's commenting on how uh, he, I hadn't counted on shield intervention. A good thing I installed that camera around the shield helicarrier. <laughs> That's what he's been doing. He's just been planting cameras all over the place while the X-Men <laughs> thought he's dead. Well, we're still training a little bit. Uh, Beast is still putting away a couple of uh, androids or something. It's very important that Beast fight androids. Yeah, okay. I'm sure all of this so is wink. And uh, so they, they were done training. There's a there's a briefing. Um, professor says, remember everything I told you. Attack with everything you have. Um, you having a prayer of victory. That's horrible. <laughs> oh, but then... You guys are going on a suicide mission. Cyclops is like, but we might slow them up, right? Exactly. Oh, okay. So the plan here is that the X-Men, the only thing the X-Men need to do is just slow them down a little bit. That's it. It's the only thing they need to do. Right? Uh, for a while. <laughs> I mean, you have it to prayer of victory, but then Cyclops says, but we might slow them up, right? Exactly. Every, and so the professor doesn't be like, no, boy, don't be stupid. You have to defeat the odds. You have to be victorious. Right. All right. Whatever. So apparently, uh, now that the we per- need time, yeah. So now that the per- to do something. Now that the professor is back, the X Men have access to rocket ships again. <laughs> yep. <laughs> this is what he's been working on these past few months. Or, or maybe he's just like, okay, here's the keys to the hangar. Geez, Professor, do you realize that we were looking for airplane money for I don't know how long while we thought you were dead? We just had this thing sitting here. Gassed up and ready to go? This is a very special rocket intended for this exact mission, as we will find out. This is a Xenox fighter. Oh, yeah. All right, so we... We we cut to a scene of some Xenox talking to each other. They're talking about how 
they're getting attacked and it doesn't really matter because they're, they're just going to tire them. The human race will tire themselves out as they prepare to be our slaves. Fortunately for us, they speak English, so we can understand what they're saying. Yes, it's very convenient. Not even There's not even a little translated from the Xenox tongue. Exactly. They uh, apparently want to make the world their slaves. Um, the projectile has passed through their missile screens, so they, or, or I don't know, I don't really understand what's going on here, but uh, a rocket sh- the rocket ship that the X-Men in get close enough that they feel that they have to fire the missiles. I'm not sure why they decided they couldn't fire the missiles until now, but whatever. So then we get three panels of them firing the missiles and missing. No, they hit they hit the rocket ship, and the rocket ship gets smaller and smaller. They built, um, they, basically the professor built several layers of rocket ship. Each layer slowly gets disintegrated as they move into the Xenox ship. But then the last piece of the ship is uh, too close to risk another shot. So, wow, the professor in all of this cripple goodness... So that just tells me that Reed Richards knew that he was alive this whole time. So the professor's got to be on the phone like, hey, Reed, i got to build a ship, but I really don't know how to start. <laughs> Could you get me going on this? I got uh, this idea about it being like three ships in one so that if it gets hit by missiles. It's a and ship. And Reed Richards is like, why do you need to do this? And the professor's like, oh, quiet. No reason. Just do it. Oh. I know I'm. Yeah. Oh, well, okay, there you go. That could just be the way it is. Reed Richards helps him build the thing, and he's just like, all right, and when you go home, you will remember none of this. Yes. Stupid professor. All right, so anyways, the the small projectile uh, flies right into the Xenox ship, puncturing a hole into it, allowing the X-Men to basically walk in, which is kind of a neat idea. Squeech! Yeah, I like that idea. I actually... I guess uh, you're smarter than me because I didn't realize that that's what was actually happening in those three panels. So good on the professor. Uh, I, I read the, uh, the the word balloons. Oh, I just kind of looked at the pictures. <laughs> yep, yep, pretty. So they, uh, unfortunately, they crashed into a giant uh, alien green guy's lair or something. This is, must be where they keep their pets or something. Here's where Beast and Iceman uh, start joking around, and this is where they're kind of more jokey than they usually are. Mm. Interesting decor. Neo-Garden Hose, I'd call it. Yoo-hoo, anybody home? Heads up, Beastie, and dig the watchdog. Tis formidable enough to discourage even the staunchiest mailmen. Ha, ha, ha. Stand back, guys. I'm going to give Fido an ice kennel. Yeah, yeah. That's good. That, that, I mean, that's good. That's uh, witty repartee there. That's probably the best witty repartee they've ever done actually i i would agree that it carried on uh multiple panels there anyway remember how i said maurice severinson did the cover yes well originally this large beast was drawn as a lizard creature mm-hmm. but stan lee and all his mighty stan lee wisdom said that well you know lizard creatures are cool and all but man kind of man-shaped monsters are are better. So he had Marie Severinsen go in and erase Neil Adams's drawings of a lizard monster and draw in this man-beast, which Stanley then also decided should be on the cover. Whoa. 
apparently Neil Adams was not consulted about this and it made him somewhat unhappy. Whoa. As I'd imagine it would. <laughs> Whoa. So who is this? Who's, who's the woman? Marie Severinsen. Did she do anything else ever? Uh, I, I, I'm sure she did. I know she wasn't too pleased with this or it, it, what I read said that she wasn't too pleased with having to do this, but that's no, not a, it's not a, a whole, job's a job. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's not a horrible drawing. I mean, it's not great. No. And I don't, do you think Tom Palmer inked it? I mean, it's still kind of, probably. It, I mean, it looks like it fits. It doesn't look like somebody, um, like just pasted it in there, you know, it looks, I don't know. We'll never know what the original looked like. Maybe it was drastically different. Maybe it was very close. I mean, it just it doesn't feel out of place on the panel. So, I mean, I'm sure it's completely different than the original creature. Well, I guess that she probably could have just erased, like, the lizard features and then just redrawn man features. Right. So, like, maybe the body was actually Neil, Neil Adams' body, but the face was, you know, less pointy and lizardy, and ah, who knows. Because, uh, well, whatever. It would have been, a, it seems like it would have, unless you would have redrawn Iceman's uh, hand, which is in the way of the leg and some of the other things that are kind of in front. Um, it seems like it fits. Yeah. So just this one, or like every time we see this lizard, wait, which is just. Well, we only twice. see him for a few more. <laughs> we only see him for one more panel, actually. So. Okay. That's dumb. I guess, why? Wow. What, what a weird decision to make. Yeah, Stanley was, uh, you know, he figured he knew what he was doing, and I guess he was right. Okay. Yeah. Apparently, it, it specu- Roy Thomas speculates in the omnibus that this was the second best-selling issue of Roy t- or Neil Adams' run, primarily because of the lizard man on the cover. Really? But I I don't know. Huh. I can't, wow, I guess it, it would be it would be it would be a cool thing to go back in time, obviously, but to go back in time and <laughs> just hang out by a newsstand, right, and just be like, what you know, just watch people resort out the comic book so like this one's behind everything, and just see like the kids come in and be like, oh, look at the look at the man lizard, I want this comic, daddy, daddy, buy me this man com- or this comic book. Versus like another issue of Avengers with Captain America on the cover. Right. That just seems so weird to me. Well, anyways, they handily take care of the man lizard by shooting him in the face. Yeah, Cyclops takes charge. Mm-hmm. Ice Man, your powers are too weak. I've got to do this, essentially. Yep. Uh, so there's a couple of TV casters come on, much in the style of what we saw in those early Sentinel issues. The little ha- cross-hatchy TV um, effect that he likes to use and they're talking kind of a, a uh, an understanding that there are earthquakes happening and tsunamis and cataclysms of an environmental nature things are happening on this planet and they're not normal but nobody quite knows what the source of it is except for theodore norton noted astronomer who says i've observed a planet about the size of pluto rushing towards the earth already it is disrupting many ecological systems barring a miracle we are doomed so everybody discounts this man because they're like look if you knew there was a planet rushing towards earth you'd have told us earlier and he's like oh uh whoops (laughs) 
I thought I could sell this. Does anybody want to <laughs> buy my doomsday prediction? Well, anyways, we go back to the Xenox. Who... And I like these two panels because we get, you get the idea that the Xenox are... I like the fact that they're wearing like these intricate space outfits. Mm-hmm. It's it's just kind of neat. They're they're this weird alien race that wears these weird alien costumes, and they have weird alien spaceships and weird alien screens. And I just like the, the amount of detail that Neil Adams put into these this race. Sure, they're yeah, kind of like uh, Barracuda Piranha people. Yeah, uh, yeah. It, it's it uh, it's definitely outside of what you would see in more traditional alien spaceships. You know. I don't know. This is very open. It's a very different design than than an Earth design would be. And you're right. All the other things are very out of this world looking. So I, I agree. Dig this dialogue too. I feel this will be our most artistic triumph, our most exquisite destruction. Never have we encountered a world of such beauty, such possibilities for defilement. So they and the people are handsome and hardy. Captives will provide much sport. Ah, this is a happy day. So yeah, they're they're celebrating uh, taking over this planet and all the wonderful things that they can do to wreck it. Yeah, it's it's, it's pretty neat. Um, so they realize that they've got some intruders, uh, and the intruders got past the guardian beast, which was that green thing we saw earlier. Um, to which they say, "Well, we'll just uh, dispatch a platoon or a battle platoon to the area." Which they do. Uh, ice. We see Iceman f- having frozen up a uh, a member of a battle platoon, and Beast apparently punching either the same one or another one. Somebody off panel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it seems to. Are they finishing off the platoon right here, or are they just beginning? I can't quite tell. Because there's well, it a- says as the order is given, so that would seem to be simultaneously. And then we get some more Xenox with their hitchet guns. <laughs> shooting yeah but somebody off panel says well that finishes that finishes him well that finishes the guys that they were dealing with before the battle platoon showed up i don't know <laughs> okay yeah so that was Iceman, and he freezes a couple of them or a bunch of them in a big ice block maybe which apparently works yeah and that's when a, another couple of guys come out and you're right. Beast springs into action and starts beating up the android-looking Xenox guy. Which he's all like, these chaps are exactly as agile as the robots I fought, and somewhat easier on the knuckles. Yeah, but there's a lot more of them. We won't last five minutes against these odds. So apparently the professor knew exactly what the Xenox would be attacking with, which is exactly why he trained him in those very specific exercises, huh? Yeah, so so we will we will see the other three get to use their powers coming up. I'm I'm sure. The professor chimes in now. I think he, I think he's at the mansion. I don't think he's at the Xenox spaceship. I could be no, wrong. No, he's though. at the mansion. Okay. Well, it doesn't really matter where he is, honestly. Yeah, it seems like earlier in the series he had kind of proximity locate uh, uh, limitations, but now apparently he can just telepathically communicate halfway across the planet. Well, he sure can. <laughs> So he turned the page. Yeah, he he decides now that he cannot uh, afford to wait. Lorna is integral to this plan, as he says, "Ready yourself." And we get a full page spread of 
the professor's head floating over many a person all over the planet. Um, I would assume that the black guys are in Africa. Probably. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, I guess there's one black person on the bat- bottom panel, so maybe that's right. Oh, yeah, yeah. But yeah, there's it's kind of a racist panel, if you ask me. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> They're just like hiding behind weeds and vines and stuff. Um, so for some reason, the Fantastic Four is also included. Well, to show that he he's also connecting all the minds of the superhuman populace. He's he's looking for men and women of goodwill, human beings who have in good measure the single trait he desperately needs, compassion, for it is only this which will best the enemy. Some he rejects immediately because to distract them would be to cause irreparable harm. Surgeons, pilots, that's, that's pretty nice of the professor. Yeah, yeah. Others he dismisses because he finds their psyches tainted with hatred, cruelty, prejudice, love of death, the sickness which the Xenox cherish. And then he combines them all into one person, himself. I've got them, Lorna, but we must hurry. I can't keep millions of personalities united for long. You must direct my mental emanations to Death Valley. They're in Death Valley? I thought they were in the South Pole. I thought so, too. Oh. Oh well. Focus your attention on my on the X Men. Ah, I am getting through. How, how is she getting through? Is she making a phone uh, call? Well, the professor divided up some more of his ability to Lorna. <laughs> oh, just temporarily. <laughs> He's uh, using her as some sort of a conduit to get to the X Men. I don't know. It seems pretty silly to even have her there. And so the professor calls out to the other X-Men and Havoc. I guess I didn't realize Havoc was included in this mission. Because we haven't seen him up until now. Oh, okay. He says, Link Minds, mutants! We're set, professor! professor. (laughs) Uh, And I don't know. Oh, I see what happens. So Marvel Girl focuses the professor's energy on Havoc, who blasts the energy into Cyclops, who fires it at the Xenox planet, which is clearly visible now from the planet Earth. Well, uh, apparently the the heat given off by Havoc's charging of Cyclops needs to be uh, compensated by Iceman, who freezes Cyclops at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> so, Oh, my so, God. This so is- Ice, Iceman's training comes into play here. He yeah, was tra- he, okay. He was tra- training him to do that. Jean Grey's comes into play. Um, it doesn't look like Cyclops is doing the pinpointing thing, but but maybe he's like hitting a tiny little bolt. I'm wondering, like, what the heck is the point? They're shooting at a planet. <laughs> well, yeah. Maybe, like, did they find, like, their one... Is it like the Death Star? Where they're like, oh, there's a hole over there. It's one meter long. Fire at that. Right. Uh, all right, so... If, if that's true, it's off-panel. And then so we get kind of a neat couple of pages where we kind of repeat, they know not what they do. These who struggle, people, blah blah blah. Uh, we get we get a we get we get to see a little kid who's being used, and then we see Cyclops is blasting, and the Xenox are in pain, and then we see a black woman with a little kid on her back, and she's also being used in this plan. And we see those same next two panels, more of the Xenox getting blasted. I'd like to point out that the second and fifth panel are exactly the same. 
the second and fifth. Oh, yes. As are the second and fifth on the next page. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. He just. Yeah. In fact, this, the. Yeah, it's kind of a repeating pattern here. Okay. I gotcha. We get, we get two panels on the left of people that are part of the professor's plan. Have you gone? A little boy, a black woman, an Indian dude, and an Indian. No, he's an Arab. Dude. Look at him. He's oh. got, he's got like, uh, a, 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 the bandolier of bullets or whatever around him. He's a terrorist. Okay, so he's like... <laughs> but he's Arab. a good terrorist because we're only using good people. Right. <laughs> <laughs> the most racist images I've ever seen. <laughs> Terror. Well, it's like they chose the... like They tried to choose a internationally diverse group of people and I don't know. The Native American you... has a bandana around his head, long white hair, wrinkly face, and a plaid shirt. I mean... Good Lord, it's, come on. It's just really cliched uses of these array of international types. <laughs> and apparently it is too much good for the Xenox to take. And the goodness repels the planet from... Our sense, I sense Earth. our will to conquer being eaten away. And without that, we are nothing. We must admit defeat. And so they drive their planet away. <laughs> no, like if the point, if, if this is so, st first of all, like we all know how planets work, right? From our science classes, they usually revolve around something. Jeremy, have you ever been to a Xenox planet? Oh, okay. Apparently you can fly them around and you don't care about like your gravitational pull. And I mean, you know, you fly it by Pluto, it's going to get pretty cold. Are they on the inside of the planet or the outside of the planet? I don't know. Because it's going to, well, all right, so many problems with this. Well, anyways, the X-Men's like, you can relax, uh, victory is ours. So, you know, I guess channeling his power through the X-Men, still, the professor comes back, and literally one hour after he reveals himself that he's alive, he saves the day, just like yeah. he used to. He returns everybody's personalities or whatever back to them. Everybody's kind of like, whoa, that was crazy. And uh, then he then he collapses, and the professor I'm not sure dies. Why the X Men had to get into the Xenox battle station and fight? They they could have just uh, like gone somewhere nearby. Yeah, where they didn't have to fight things. Well, it goes back to the pinpoint accuracy. You see, uh, they fired a homing beacon down to the South Pole, but then to Death Valley, whichever, and. Uh, it, the homing beacon was perfectly lined up with that one meter hole, like in the Death Star. So if they'd have been off by like a mile or two in one direction, they'd have hit like a sidewall or something and it would have totally missed. <laughs> That's what I guess. That's what I got. The professor releases his control over the human race. Go and God bless. We get a little kid holding a sugar cube, a very large sugar cube. Dad reading a paper. The African yeah. man with a spear by the mud river says, who is this God that you are speaking about? <laughs> Why does he have an Indian accent? I don't know. <laughs> I don't either. We get uh, some Russian guy and then we get uh, a blonde wearing a Russian hat in London. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so they're, yeah, they're all returned back to their personalities. And then the professor collapses. Uh, Lorna looks out uh, to try to he Battle. he saved a world. Perhaps a universe has it cost him his life. 
Unaware of their mentor's plight, the exhausted mutants trudge to their rocket and blast clear of the last remnants of the invasion. Apparently, the Xenox decided to blow up their vessel, thus covering up all evidence of them ever being on the planet. And the X-Men ask why. Well, Bobby says, like, maybe they got the professor's message. And then Jean Grey says, understood what they could be. And Cyclops says, and couldn't continue to live with what they were. That doesn't make any sense. Beast says, amen, friends, amen. Right. Perhaps we've taught them a lesson, X-Men. Next, the Hulk. So I have a question. And spoilers, uh, I'm just going to give it away. Uh, this is Neil Adams' last issue. I'm sorry, I gave it away. <laughs> but it it just seems like uh, it, it's it's a good point to talk about it because we'll probably forget by next week. But do you think that all of the things that you told me are the reason that he left the the book? That is definitely possible because <laughs> what let's i mean to recap uh he thought roy thomas was going to script it but was uh, then surprised by danny o'neill which apparently he didn't like or he wasn't a fan of or maybe he just didn't like well, being consulted he, he just didn't like that it was done without consulting him sure. he didn't have a problem with danny o'neill right i guess they'd worked together before and had a pretty successful run at dc but I guess it's maybe, uh, maybe it was like indicative of the style over at Marvel, where 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 um, uh, Neil Adams is kind of like, yeah, I'm part of the Marvel team, and I'm drawing this book, and it's getting some pretty good reviews, and I'm pretty happy with it, and and you know, yeah, more often than not, you know, little things are happening. It's like, why aren't they telling me that? Well, no big deal. I'm still on this book, and then finally, this thing with Roy Thomas and Denny O'Neill comes out. And he's like, what the hell? Come on, guys! Like, I, I plotted this thing and I drew it. You, the least you could, like, I love Denny, but the least you could have done is ta- told me. Exactly. Because I mean, as a creative team, you've been like, well, I know Denny loves to do these types of things, so I'd have drawn a couple pictures like this to let him like put some good dialogue on top of that. And, right. then, and then with the with the the uh, erasing of the lizard man or whatever, he was probably like, "Well, for God's sakes, <laughs> that's it. I'm done. I'm out of here." You may make an analogy that Marvel is the professor, and <laughs> Neil Adams <laughs> is the X Men. Marvel just keeps like screwing with them. Why'd you disappear for a couple months, man? <laughs> you made us think you were dead. Well, it was very important to the shut up. What you <laughs> literally you couldn't trust us to leave you alone for a couple of months? Seriously, you couldn't just like tell us, "Hey, I I got to do this thing. I'm going to be gone for a couple of months." He's done it before, like remember uh, way early in the uh well, when he went to go fight Lucifer, he's like, look, my X-Men, I'm not going to be around for a little while, so you're going to have to take care of yourselves. And the X-Men had to actually fight a couple of battles on their own without the professor, to which Magneto's like, what? They defeated me without that cursed uh, Professor Xavier? How can this be? The only thing that I can think is maybe the professor was like, all right, I just need the X-Men out of my hair. I'll let the changeling guy do this. I'll step in before the six months is over. The X-Men will never know. Oh. It'll be cool. I, I just need some time. And then the changeling went and got himself killed. <laughs> and the professor's like, oh. And the professor's just like, well, what a- I'm just going to let that happen. I, 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 I still need some time. I don't want to have to explain all this. <laughs> He's like, I'm not done yet. I mean, how am I going to explain this? Like, well, changeling and I wanted to do an experiment, you know? Um. So the question I guess I have then is with the return of the professor, was this... Does your uh, omnibus say anything about this? Like what the motivation was? Was this the big plan all along? Did did 
Neil Adams say, like, you know what I miss is a crazy old man bossing around the teenagers and stepping in to save the day each time. I'm I'm tired of writing the X-Men ways to to solve their own problems. I don't believe it does. Give me a couple seconds and I will, I will review. Because I think I read somewhere that a lot of people, well, I don't know, a lot of fans were pretty disappointed when they brought the professor back because I don't know, I guess, I guess fans get that way. <laughs> they like reality. <laughs> yeah, sort of. I guess people got upset when they bought, brought back Bucky as well. Yeah, you know. You know who they haven't brought back, which I th- I think we're ripe for? Who's that? Gwen Stacy. Oh, they brought her back. A Are you kidding ago. me? Yeah. They did not. They did. It was some weird clone type plot where oh. it turned out that it really wasn't Gwen. Oh, well then, see, it wasn't really Gwen. But yeah, they Peter went through that. Okay. And Peter's dead anyway now. Oh, yeah, yeah. I heard that. Haven't you been keeping up with the news? Yeah, I heard that. Doc Ock is Peter Parker. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds dumb. But I'm sure once I read that, all in context, it's to be like, whoa, this is the greatest plot ever. Or it won't be, and it won't matter in a couple months anyway. Because <laughs> everything will be back to the normal. Yeah. Mm-mm. Mephisto will step in once again and be like, yeah, it didn't work out. Let's just change everything again. <laughs> <laughs> just like what happened with Professor X. Mm-hmm. Peter Parker will be back to normal. Yeah. I met this guy named the Changeling, and he mentioned he was going to die of cancer in six months. So I said, why don't you step in as me? And, and, and it turned out that Doc Ock took over the Changeling. Yeah, something like that. Sure. <laughs> uh, and then uh, Peter Parker goes on to defeat the Xenox again. <laughs> so uh, anything in the Omnibus about the professor coming back? No, no. What do you, do you have any speculations? Uh, it's just, it's just the comics thing is if they have a formula, they like, they always like to get back to it. I understand that they bring back some people because they get a lot of letters or fan mail, or maybe you've got like a new artist who comes or, or writer who's like, you know what story I want to tell again? I want to tell the story about the juggernaut. And they're like, oh, okay, well, what's your story? And then, oh, that's a great story. Yeah, figure out a way to bring him back and do it. Well, maybe Neil Adams wanted to do a Professor X story. He yeah, was but- like, oh, I got some ideas involving Professor X. And then he was like, uh, I don't like Marvel anymore. Also, let's just talk about this from a historical perspective. Think about how fortuitous it is that he brought Professor X back in issue 65. Yeah. Imagine if he hadn't. Imagine if the series had stopped at issue 64. Yeah. Would the professor be a part of the X-Men what today? Is, yeah. What does giant-sized X-Men number one look like if the series ends at 64? Or it, well, I mean, I'm sure there would be one because there's probably some people sitting around wanting to rewrite the thing anyways, but what, I don't know. What do they do? Maybe they write that exact same story, <laughs> but they just put it in giant size number one. And then yeah. and instead of the uh, new X-Men fighting the island, they fight the Xenox instead. Maybe. I don't know. Although that, that was a Neil Adams original, so who knows? That's true. Or or maybe Cyclops wants to get the band back together and he becomes like the new Professor X type guy and, and uh, you know, they write him in such a way that he trips over something and breaks his leg so he's confined to a wheelchair and so he, he trains <laughs> the new X-Men. I don't know. It's just uh, I don't it's know. a neat question, though. Yeah. Uh, very fortuitous, I would say. Anyhow, uh, what else do we got? Uh, the professor's act, uh, the professor's plan was really lame. Oh yes, I was talking about just in general, but uh, uh, yes, the professor's plan was kind of lame. I think the 
artist rendering of all of the X-Men cooperating together to blast away the planet was neat. But I think the whole idea was pretty hokey. Does that make any sense? I think it seems to me like um, uh, Neil Adams really wanted to do something that all of the X-Men had to focus all of their powers to to put to 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 satisfy one good. And that's Yeah, it's just a cool idea. The X-Men are about teamwork. And that's the best that he could come up with. Well, if we channel our dissimilar powers, then we can blow away <laughs> this planet. Yeah, I, I think he was just looks like he's just playing around with you know, layouts and storytelling devices and stuff like that. It's it's an it's a neat way of telling a story that just happens to not be a particularly great story. Yeah. Well, anyways. Although I do like I do I mean I did I did enjoy it. It was probably one of my favorites of recent, partially because of the. Uh, I don't know. It, it just kind of. The dialogue kind of the worked, dialogue. and it and it and it felt it felt very X Men. I guess because they battle space guys and. They haven't really done that very much yet. Mm-hmm. The first time that they get into, you know, the X-Men are involved in the cosmic space universe in Marvel. So not to drastically change the subject, unless there's more you wanted to talk about with this story. I mean, I think we both agree that uh, it wasn't very good. Uh, <laughs> I wouldn't go so far as to say it wasn't very good, but it wasn't great. Okay. Well, look, I'm I'm with you. It wasn't very great. <laughs> what did you say it wasn't very good no you said i said it was i said it wasn't great okay but... it wasn't great so it was good it was good okay all right it was i li- I liked it i guess yeah i mean it's hard to draw parallels like uh what would you put your benchmark average x-men title at this point at between issues six one and 65 or can you come up with one the average yeah like what's the oh. story that sticks out in your mind as very average. Maybe that's not a fair question because I really can't think of anything either. But I guess I keep going back to stories like, uh, do you remember when they fought like the villains of yesteryear? Oh boy. Like those were, <laughs> those were bad. And then there was the locust issue. That was bad. Um, this was definitely better than those, but not as good as like, you know, some of the juggernaut stories or the Sentinel stories. The red Raven issue. I don't even remember that. Red. Oh yeah. Yeah. That was, that was awful too. That was a bad issue. <laughs> there is a letter by Mark Verheiden. Oh, I missed that. He went on to write uh, for Dark Horse Comics uh-huh. as, well, he started with Alien and A- the Aliens books and did some Predator books. And he may, maybe he did some Aliens versus Predator books. And then he did some DC work and then he went on to do show running or, or involvement in shows like heroes and was he stuff an, like that. Was he an artist? No, he was a writer. Okay. What was the context of his letter? Um, basically uh, talking about how Neil Adams was the best X-Men artist and that they really shouldn't lose him. With Storenko on the cover of one of Marvel's worst comics, it sh- was shown that bigger and better things were to come, and they did. Number 50, Storenko, magnificent. So he's fawning over the scripting and art of Storenko and um, Neil Adams, which I agree. I mean, at that time, when you're just looking at those very cartoony X-Men, that have been drawn probably, you know, it's the same style of comic books. And, and, I mean, maybe 
I don't know, maybe this is blasphemy, but it just seems like a very cookie cutter um, drawings of all these heroes. Like it doesn't matter who's drawing it because they all, they're all going to look the same. Well, yeah, I think that was the style of the time. I mean, you have your Neil Adams who are very uh, different in, you know, foretelling of things to come. But other than that, you have pretty traditional artists. Yeah. So these two guys come along on a book that's mostly been drawn very traditionally and, and, and do this. And yeah, I mean, there's a in this issue, I think there was a bunch of letters of like, Neil Adams is awesome. And I think there's a couple of like, Neil Adams is the worst artist ever. <laughs> I was like, wow, very mixed on this. All right. Well, anyways, uh, I wanted to move on a little bit. X-Men Days of Future Past Speculations. Adam and I recorded that or uh, video recorded it over the summer. And then six months later, I finally got around to putting it out. So that's why uh, if you guys have watched or if you've listened and some of the references seem a bit dated, like, for example, Adam, I think at one point you say, they just announced Wolverine. Well, yeah, in the summer they had just announced Wolverine. And now it might just seem like we're way behind. Well, that's why. But aside from that, I wanted to just tag up on a, on a letter that was written to us uh, on on uh, the speculations. And Adam, I'm going to need to look to you to see if this is actually real or not. And if it's not real, I'm cutting it out. <laughs> Because then it just means that I've been had. But is this the mystique thing? Yeah, I I just got it before we started, so I didn't have a chance to look it up. Well, according to the wiki, Claremont stated he originally intended Mystique and Destiny to be Nightcrawler's biological parents. So apparently, I had no idea that this was a thing. But Moose commented on our speculations podcast. And he was telling us that Claremont uh, intended for Nightcrawler's parents to be Mystique and Destiny. Mystique. Who are these characters? I don't know. Some future. You'll have to listen to other podcasts for that information, but, but I figured we'd address it here. But apparently, Mystique was to morph into an anatomically correct male to impregnate Destiny, and then that would be Nightcrawler's parents. I can see why they didn't do that. <laughs> but apparently, those crazy editors said, uh, uh, did not allow that, uh, so... Apparently a whole issue was at least outlined or something, but it was dropped. That is kooky. What a weird idea. <laughs> what a I don't even know if I like that idea. It's probably better than what ended up happen, happening, which was that Mystique does it with a devil. <laughs> oh, really? Do yeah. You know, do you know which devil? Yeah, the one that was in X-Men First Class, the movie. A Zazzle? Zazzle. Oh, geez, really? I guess Zazzle is like the devil and Mystique has this moment of weakness with him where he seduces her and they end up having a devil baby. Who is Nightcrawler. part blue and part devil. You know, it would have made more sense if uh, Mystique would have had sex with Belasco, but Who's that? He was a, a villain that looked a lot like uh, Nightcrawler from um, X-Men in the hundreds era. Hundred and some odd air. We'll get to oh, it's gonna be it's a great issue, but but, okay. but anyways, uh, that would have made more sense to me. But anyways, because uh, he also kind of I think he he lives in uh, um, limbo, so he doesn't really live. He doesn't have time. So it, you know, doesn't it turn out that Destiny is Mystique's mother? Oh yeah, I don't know. That seems about right. I don't know. It gets so weird. I just can't miss that. Destiny is like 80 or something. <laughs> or is that like after Claremont that they just filled that in or something? Yeah. Cause I don't recall them ever addressing that relationship uh, other than saying, uh, I think Mystique calls her old friend a lot. 
that's weird. I guess I think I'm glad that it didn't happen, but I don't think I like the devil thing either. So anyways. Oh, wait till we get to that in the 300s. We'll be going through a <laughs> terrible, terrible run of Chalk Austin stories. Ooh. Oh, well, that makes a lot of sense. I've I've read a little bit of Chuck Austin and none of it did I like. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Chuck. I'm sure you're a good writer in other books. Oh, so anyways, if you're uh, wanting to know more about Days of Future Past, well, don't listen to our podcast. But if you want to learn what we think the movie should look like, go check out that podcast, the speculations out on the web page. And if you want to take a look at the video, that's uh, also linked out on um, facebook.com forward slash danger room podcast or on our homepage, redcapproductions.com forward slash danger room. Check them all out. Random classic X-Men note. Oh, yes. Since somebody said we should keep up with classic X-Men, I would like to just make a note that in classic X-Men issue 14, there's a story that takes place directly after the story that we just did. Really? where the professor meets Lilandra for the first time uh-huh. and they share a body and there's this weirdness where they like look in the mirror and they each see each other, but they don't realize who they are. And it's, it's all weirdness. And Lilandra thinks to herself, Hmm, this guy's pretty powerful. Maybe I should, maybe I should get him to help me with my race problems. Oh, it's like, a, it's like a five page yeah, yeah, story. Just like all of the uh, classic X-Men backup stories. Yeah, which I, I don't know if we're going to go through or not, but I figured I might as well read this one and kind of mention it. Sure. Yeah, it's sure worth mentioning. Visit us at some of the places I just mentioned. Uh, you can also check out our Twitter feed, at Danger Room Go. Email us at dangerroom at redcapproductions.com. Go out to our iTunes page and uh, leave us a piece of feedback if you wouldn't mind. Yeah, we haven't been getting too much feedback on the iTunes lately. Yeah, got, I really miss it. We got to 27 and it kind of died off. So I think maybe we've maybe we've got all the uh, iPod listeners that that want to listen to X Men. I don't know. I don't know what it is, but uh. I expect to see some reviews coming in the next couple of months that say, "My friend asked me to give this podcast a five star review. I don't actually listen to it, but." He's my friend, so whatever. <laughs> I trust him. I'm sure you guys mean well. It sounds like you're having lots of fun. <laughs> That's all that matters. All right, then. Well, anything else, Adam? No, I don't think so. Okay. Until next time, the danger room is closed. Oh, my poor Charles. You are too late, Lilandra. For human science, yes. You were correct, however, in assuming that we Shi'ar have techniques beyond your comprehension, which will be of use. Then he will survive? Yes, but only under Shi'ar care. I know you cannot bear to see him go, but it is the only way.